Amen. You can be seated, and I'll dismiss our uh, school-aged kiddos to head to the back. Who are they going with today? Okay, Miss Tracy, Mr. Brandon. Man, there's a crew. Um, our kids, uh, volunteers, which most of you are them in some, in some aspects, just do a phenomenal job. And uh, I know it's exciting for me to talk to my kiddos every week after, uh, after uh, they're back there and learning with them. Um, I invite you to open your uh, Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 6. I know you might be thinking, we just finished Galatians and we spent several months there, but this is just kind of what's on my heart and I would like to share with you. Let's see if I can get that fixed. Okay. Um, I've been on sabbatical. For those of you who don't know that, st- still kind of on sabbatical. I've got another two weeks left, but we were short-staffed and short-manned today and um, Ashley's tired of hearing me preach at her, so... Uh, it is a joy to be up here, and this is going to work well because I kind of had some notes in my journal that I've been jotting down through the few months, middle of June, I started sabbatical, and uh, if you're not familiar with those, um, they're uh, kind of a practice that pastors use every five, six, seven years to kind of recharge and rest and hear from God, kind of go up the mountain, so to speak, and um, see what God has for us in this coming season, and... Um, It has been great, but uh, as I started studying, I kind of found that uh, I had more to say than I could fit in one sermon. So this will be a part one, um, and maybe the part two um, in a couple weeks when when I'm back. Let me say a quick prayer for us as we open God's word. God, I thank you for just this gift of grace that we've uh, just sung about. Lord, that you didn't leave us as orphans, but you've adopted us into your family and given us your name and a seat at your table, and you've promised that you've begun this good work in us that you will bring to completion. And if we're honest, we see that we are far from completion, that you've got a lot of work left to do in us, and we are willing participants in this sanctification process. Father, I pray that you speak to us through your word. May it come alive in our hearts and our souls, dividing the lies that we've held on to and the truth for what it is. I pray you change our lives, enrich our marriages, um, our family life, and our testimony about what is true and right and worth living your lives for. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. It says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, and I I did preach on this as I finished up the book of Galatians last spring, so um, if you were here then, maybe this could be a refresher uh, course for you. Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary of doing good. It's in the only time that Paul says this thing, this exhortation is nearly in most all of his letters um, to these young churches, 2 Thessalonians 3, I don't have this one on the screen, he says, as for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good, 
his letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And many more times we could look at Paul's letters to the churches of him echoing the same encouragement or this exhortation to these young churches. Hey, listen, I know that life is hard. And it's difficult and sometimes it's overwhelming, especially if you're going through a season of pruning, which is even to the next degree difficult. He's exhorting these young churches not to grow weary, not to give up, to be steadfast and immovable. And you would ask, again, Paul, why would you take time in almost all these letters to these young churches to remind them of this, not growing weary? Because, as you know and I know, if we're honest, life is hard. We're constantly fighting against the enemy, our enemy, the devil, fighting against our own sinful nature that remains, the world around us growing increasingly evil. Life is hard. And if we're not careful, we might be tempted just to give up. And I don't think we give up in the fact of that we cease being Christians. What we do is we say, you know what, life is so difficult. I want to get off the field. Take me out, coach. I want to get off the field, and I just want to sit on the sidelines. And as I've had time to kind of think in my own heart about what causes me to grow weary, as I've been able to look and spend some time with some other people that I was in seminary with, that right now they're on the sidelines, they're out of the game. They took a blow that they couldn't handle anymore. They, they asked to be sat down and they're still sitting there decades later. And this weekend, we celebrate something as a church, and many of you maybe weren't here, but almost seven years exactly to the day, we had our first uh, core team meeting. And we were starting to dream about what Covenant Church might be. And we, we gathered... 30 or 40 people in the, uh, the library over at the BIC, and we just kind of dreamed about what God might be doing in our midst. And we've been mobile for seven years, and we've moved to four different locations. And some of you have served kids, you know, three times a month since we began. You understand this idea of growing weary. You survived the cohab days. Bless you for doing that. And watching those kiddos and all that we've done And if we're honest, it's easy to grow weary. Let me give you a little context here. If Paul's saying this, if you recall, we went over this a few months ago. Paul is using this illustration or saying this within this larger illustration of reaping and sowing. Sowing and reaping, just simple agriculture illustration that you understand if you plant something in good soil and water it, that eventually if the conditions are right and the right amount of sunlight happens, what you plant in the spring, you can harvest or reap in the fall. And part of the problem that we have in today's culture is we don't want to wait for the fall. We want to plant it and see growth the next day. My little Ellie does this all the time. That she'll find a seed out of an apple that she is eating and she'll delicately go outside and plant it and overwater it to death, right? But put it in the exact same and then she'll wake up early the next morning. And she'll say, Dad, come out with me. Let's see the apple tree. I was like, Elias, there's, there's no apple tree. One, it's only been a day. And two, I probably cut the grass yesterday and cut it down if there was anything, anything there. We live in a world that demands an immediate return we want to make money the fastest. We want to be served the fastest. We want to have the fastest internet. 
Right, Tim? We don't want to wait until the fall to see the fruit. We want it now. But that's not how the kingdom of God often works. Seeds planted now will bear fruit in time. So my encouragement to us is don't give up investing when you don't see immediate fruit. Many of us here at Covenant are in this uh, planting season of our lives. We're new parents. Maybe we're in the decade of our career, first decade of our careers. We're in a phase of life where we're doing more sowing than reaping. But let me encourage you with this. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be fruit born out of your life 20 years from now that comes from seeds that you're planting for our teenagers. The health and fruitfulness of their future marriages, of your future marriages, will likely be a result of seeds that you're planting right now, decisions you're making right now concerning your purity and your work ethic. You're going to see fruit of that. Some of us are newly married. You're seeing seeds in your marriage now that are harvested from seeds you planted 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Same with our parents. On and on we could go. So Paul says to this young church, do not give up doing good. Maybe your translation might read it this way, be steadfast and well-doing. Keep giving, keep praying, keep doing good, keep serving the Lord, keep serving others. We might ask, what is this well-doing that Paul exhorts us not to grow weary of? To put simply, it's extending the message and mercy of Jesus in our neighborhoods, in our networks, and even to the ends of the earth and everywhere in between. This good works that he's encouraging us not to grow weary of is this idea of partnering with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're able to meet both physical and spiritual needs of others. He says in the second part, even of this verse, so then as we have every opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those that are of the household of the faith. This doing good is bringing peace where there's chaos. It's helping those who are hurting. It's befriending the stranger. It's seeking the lost. Jesus tells us it's giving a cup of cold water in his name. The apostle James reminds us that it's caring for orphans and for widows. It's standing in the gap and praying for others. It's loving sacrificially and on and on we could go. Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. There seems to be this passion in his words as he's wrapping up this letter. And see also that it says don't grow weary. He doesn't say don't become weary like it happens. We go to bed full of energy one day and we wake up the next morning just completely depleted. No, this is a gradual systemic thing that happens. If we're not careful, we will grow weary. Just the constant monotony of fighting against the evil around us might present the temptation for us to give up doing good. Paul says, listen, church, don't give in to that temptation. Don't grow weary of doing good. I was able to preach this little verse and in the context of the, of the whole uh, chapter a few months ago. And this little phrase, don't grow weary of doing good, has just stuck in my heart and my head. And I needed the Holy Spirit to remind me of it on numerous occasions. I don't know if you've ever ended up in this season of life where you're just weary and beat down 
I've said to Ashley on more than one occasion, babe, I just can't do this anymore. I am just done. And it's then, even as I said those things, that God used Ashley to encourage my heart and other people to kind of speak confidence and courage back into me so that we don't remain in this state of weariness. There's this inherent temptation, church, if you're not careful to grow weary, to get out of the game and sit on the sideline and let decades go by. I say I needed to hear this because this has been some of the things, as I've said already, that the Lord has been showing me over my sabbatical. If I'm not careful, if we're not careful, we'll let life suck the joy and energy right out of us. It took a few weeks of sabbatical for me to learn that I've been running on fumes for quite some, some time. Spent a lot of my sabbatical just grieving the death of my father. I had been working so hard I just didn't even have time to even think about it or the impact it has in our lives. Sometimes, maybe you do the same, I find it easier just to work harder than to even look inside and see what scary thing is going on in my heart and soul. So I just dive harder into work and press harder all the while running on fumes. So I noticed that about myself, and I asked God to really show me some of the things that I could fight against this weariness. It seems to always be lurking a few steps behind us. And I want to make it practical. I want to talk today. I'm going to share four or five of these things, these ways that we can fight against growing weary. I'm sure there are many more. Over the summer, I've narrowed it down to about eight total, and maybe we'll call them disciplines of the heart, or truths that we embrace. The first is to remember that we have an enemy. Please don't pass over this. We live in an age that makes light of this on one side and overemphasizes it on the other, but it's very clear as you read through, read through Scripture that we have an enemy, if you haven't noticed, maybe, maybe you have. Our nation is coming, becoming very post-Christian and certainly anti-Jesus. Satan seems to be working overtime to discourage and defeat and divide the people of God. And when the church should be a shining beacon against the backdrop of darkness and moral decline, we seem to be, speaking of the church at large, a flickering ember at best. We have a real enemy, church. Don't let our postmodern society try to rationalize that away. Paul warns us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. You've heard this, right? But against the principalities of darkness. Just let that set in. As Paul's setting the church at Ephesus saying, listen, church, you're doing good work. We would read over in the book of Revelation that they had sound doctrine. He wants to remind them that there is a real enemy who's plotting against them, principalities of darkness. Jesus says it himself that Satan's a thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We would be fooling ourselves if we didn't think that he was strategizing right now how to steal your joy how to rob you of peace, how to destroy your witness and influence in this world. Let me assure you that he is up to something. Now, I'm not one to blame all the difficulties of life on the demons lurking behind every corner, but so much of the difficulty we face is part of the spiritual battles that we're fighting. Satan's always trying to thwart what God wants to do in your life. He's always trying to find his way into your home. Always. He is always trying to find his way into your home. 
At times, it'll feel kind of like heaviness. Spiritual warfare may feel like this ongoing frustration or confusion or discouragement, depression, anger, hopelessness in the sight of seemingly insurmountable challenges or the temptation for us to believe the lies of Satan, that we're still an orphan, that we have to work to earn God's approval. All these lies Satan will bring in again and again. The key is to be able to identify it and fight against it accordingly. Satan will try to find entrance into your home through your marriage. Being distant and cold shoulders between each other and an ever-widening gap between each other will, will eventually turn on each other and then our marriages are far from a picture of the gospel to the watching world. He'll try to find entrance through your kids, through your extended family, especially through finances, through addiction, through materialism, any way he can. And we shouldn't be scared of this. We, we know the schemes of Satan. He's been doing this for thousands of years. You can see it. You can watch the news and see it. You see, you know his tactics. You just know what he's doing. He's trying to divide. We make caricatures out of people instead of getting to know them. Our first response to anything we see often becomes fear. All of these tactics of Satan that he's used again and again getting us to invest our lives into trivial things. Paul warns us that Satan often works to create disunity by causing division in the church. Of us talking about someone instead of going to someone. Of us not giving the benefit of the doubt. Paul tells Timothy to be careful of religious arguments because they will mar the picture of Christ in the church and ultimately they get us nowhere. So many of these things entangle us. They trip us up while trying to run the race that's in front of us. Next time you and your wife get in this big argument about nothing, know that Satan is right there lurking at the door trying to use this little squirmish to create this huge division. Sometimes it's easier just to call him out, if you can, to start in the, stop in the middle of the battle and say, listen, I know what Satan's trying to do right now. We need Jesus to step in. Realize that we have a real enemy. Second way that we can really fight growing weary is to be Jesus-centered. Of course, we're going to grow weary if we don't know that we have an assault on our heart by the outside enemy. And of course, we're going to grow weary if we try to accomplish the mission of God without love for God. Just never is going to work that way. I mean, you, you can do it for a day or two days or a month, or maybe if you're just phenomenal at this uh, discipline, maybe a year at best. But if there's no fruit in your life, if it's just manufactured energy, you're always going to grow weary. What Paul again says in uh, 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us. The love of Christ is what compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves 
but for him who died for them and was raised again. The love of Christ is what should compel us to continue moving. It's, what, it's how we fight against a weary soul. My encouragement to us, church, is that we would be intoxicated with Jesus. For those of you who are married, do you, you remember when you fell in love? You remember those times, those, some of us have been married a long time, maybe those feelings have gone, gone away, that those uh, romantic, I hate talking on the phone, I would talk on the phone to Ashley like three hours every night. You know, you're just on the other, other line just like hearing each other breathe and watching friends together, you know, but, but you're not together. Those feelings of falling in love where your other friends can tell that something's different about you. I remember after I met Ashley and we had, shortly after that, we gathered together with the family for, uh, my extended family for Thanksgiving. And everybody kept asking. I didn't even really told anybody any of the, you know, the real details. Like, what's different about you, Luke? People could see it on your face. This is, this is how it should be as our walk with Jesus. When I married Ashley, if I told her, hey, babe, I'm just going to spend my life watching ESPN, and uh, I'll check in with you every, every Sunday or so. That wouldn't, that wouldn't build a marriage. And neither can we continue to walk the Christian life unless we're once again intoxicated with Jesus, remembering all he's done for us and all he wants to do through us. It's what Paul says. Listen, the reason that we can keep going is because the love of Christ compels us. If anyone had a temptation, it was certainly Paul. To grow weary. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians 11. You've heard this a few times probably. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Verse 24, five times, Paul says, I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Then I was shipwrecked three times. A night and day I was adrift at sea. Frequent journeys and danger from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my own people and from Gentiles and in the city and out of the city and in the wilderness and at sea and from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me, the anxiety for all the churches that he felt. Now that's a bad season of life. You ever heard that phrase, when it rains, it pours? ever true that you know your dishwasher goes out to your washing machine and the car breaks then you all get sick it's one of those kind of I didn't ask her to share my my sister's kind of had one of these her and GT have had this like season of you know they had baby Powell their first child and uh their fourth sorry their first their fourth child and then the, uh, then the AC broke or something, and then the hot water heater broke, and then the, the lawnmower broke. And I'm like, man, I can't quit talking to y'all. This is like so depressing. Like everything that you try to do just falls apart. Like that's a bad season. It's encouraging to me when I read Paul's like, no, this dude was adrift at sea, right? He'd been beaten, the same kind of beating that Jesus took. He had done that three times. And still, with such joy and such passion, he's not weary. On the contrary, 2 Corinthians 13, he tells us this, that God is working through every one of those trials. You see in Paul, he's just intoxicated with Jesus. He's seen this vision of Jesus. 
He says in verse 3 that Christ is not weak in dealing with you, but he's powerful among you. That just gave me so much courage when I read that this week, that Christ is powerful among us. Even in the midst of bad days or bad seasons or bad years, that Christ is working and his right hand is not short and he is working and he is powerful among you. It says in verse 4, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Paul's saying just a few short chapters later, you know how we endured all those things? You know how we didn't grow weary after we were beat again? Danger at sea, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger from false brothers, many sleepless nights. You know how we just kept going with joy by the power of God working in us. Church, this is not a game that we're playing. It really is not this silly thing that we do. We're not walking through the motions here. That God is wanting to do something in us. He is working in us, allowing some very difficult circumstances sometimes to come in our life. And he works through them to mold us into the image of Jesus. Maybe I just wrote that phrase down, that Christ is powerful among us. I love that. Maybe that would bring you courage in moments where you're tempted to throw in the towel to grow weary. And not just the details of who Jesus was, but learning to walk with him and to lean on him. If you'd ask him even this morning that he would open your eyes to the spiritual things that are going on around you, that you would make an effort to really spend time with him, to cultivate this relationship with him. Again, if the only time that you hear from God is when you gather on the weekends with this body, you're going to be malnourished at best. Weariness is going to be the theme that defines your life because this is not enough. This is not a relationship. A relationship is this give and take, this investing and being invested in. God invites us to come to him. We could spend a lot more time on that. Let's go to the the next one is, is learn to Sabbath. And can I tell you that I have not, like, mastered any of these. This is not, this is just the Holy Spirit preaching to my heart. You're getting to listen in this morning, but I'm terrible at this, learning the Sabbath. I mean, who has time to really take a Sabbath? Who has time to even take four hours of, you know, where we put the phone away and we just really try to connect with God and connect with our families? And most of us have believed the life Satan And so we're running on fumes because we refuse to Sabbath. Many of us just need rest. We need to unplug. We need to give our minds time to do nothing. We need to listen sometimes for God's still, small voice. We need to take naps. We need to be unavailable to the rest of the world, but very available to the Holy Spirit who wants to speak to us and very available to our family around us. There's certainly a reason that God made Sabbath, this command in the Old Testament, one of the big ones, right? That even said, listen, if, if, you, if you don't obey this, then I'm going to come in and wreak havoc on you. And I don't want to drift into legalism here, but where in your day or your week or your schedule is there time to set aside and just be still? 
And maybe it's not full 24 hours. Maybe, maybe you just start with four hours or six. Maybe you just start with 10 minutes every morning or every evening. Just something that's... And if you just create the time and you don't dedicate it to something, to Sabbath, to listening for the voice of God, then other things are going to fill it quickly. So you've got to be disciplined in doing this. But I think one of the best things that we can do is just to learn how to rest Romans 12 reminds us that it's our job to keep our spiritual fervor high. It says this in verse 11 of chapter 12, Romans, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We need to find things that replenish us in an ongoing way so that we don't grow weary. You know what those things are. What, what things in your life, recreational things that you do that just bring life to you. We need to find those things and we need to put them into our schedule as frequently as we need them. We've got to keep our bucket filled so we can continue doing this. One writer calls these things streams of replenishment. These are simply things that infuse life back into us that help recreate us. For me, I love such an introvert. I love to work out by myself. Ashley's been going to the classes, trying to get me to come to a class. Like, why do I want to go to a class while someone's yelling at me the whole time? I don't want to do that. Maybe you consider what I'm doing not working out. Just leisurely going to the gym with headphones in and doing whatever I want to do for a little bit, right? I love to build things with my hands that have no schedule to them. I've heard God the clearest this summer when I've had no agenda and just did some work with my hands. Things I know I would have missed if I didn't create time to do that, to recreate myself. Got to pay attention to those things. Here's the last thing, and I know we could go into a lot more of these, but give yourself to supremely weighty things. Give weight to the things that are most weighty in life. Psalms 96, we read a scripture reading a moment ago. It says in verse 7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory. Maybe you might underline that. That glory is this idea of weightiness, of worthness of something that's lasting, that doesn't fade away with time. It's this idea of this, this weightiness, something that gives worth to these things. It says that we should ascribe to the Lord the weightiness or the glory that his name is due. We should bring an offering and come into his courts. We should worship the Lord with our lives and with our voices, certainly in the splendor of holiness. We should tremble before him all the earth. Church, we've got to give ourselves to supremely weighty things. What a haunting feeling it's got to feel like when we reach the end of this life to know that we invested our whole life into reality TV and the social media. Or how many hours upon hours have we wasted sometimes with those things? This has been before me, especially these last few weeks, if I've been thinking and evaluating my life, if I'm, if, am I giving my life to really weighty things? Am I living my life in such a way that I'm ascribing to the Lord glory and strength? Do my neighbors know this? Do my kids know this, that this is the aim of my heart? 
Do I make financial decisions based around this idea? Do I make decisions with my time based around this idea? Is this something I just say with my mouth or is this something I really believe and lived out in my life? Church, we are going to ascribe glory and weight to something. There is something in our lives right now that gets the most attention. Something we love and something, even if we don't speak it out loud, something we reorder our lives around. For some of us, it's work. We just, it's, maybe it's just this, this, this desire to produce or, or to be perfect in a certain way or to be accepted by those that are our boss and coworkers. Whatever it is, if we're not careful, we'll often give our lives to things that aren't really weighty. We have to invest our life in the things that really matter. And in order to do this, we're always having to adjust the narrative of our life or to view the narrative differently, the one that we live in, the one that God has invited you and I into. I fail to do this so often, and it's probably this that most often leads to my weariness. It's my own selfishness. We were in Dallas in second or third, fourth week of uh, sabbatical, and I have a problem listening to Siri. When you use the, the maps, you know, and she tells me to exit, and I'm like, no, it's, she don't know what she's talking about. She's going to get me to get off, and I just have a problem listening. Ashley says at one point, I think you have a problem listening to other people. I was like, this is like a computer. She has no idea what she's doing, and then the next exit, we're stuck in traffic for 35 miles. She was trying to help me prevent it. So I thought, well, Ashley doesn't know what she's talking about. I listen to other people really well. That was just a one-time thing. I can't tell you how many times I've been stuck in traffic over there just because I didn't get off. Like, it's happened like eight more times. And every time I'm like, why can I not learn this? God has created us to live for his glory and the good of others. For him to be at the center of our life and for everything in our lives to orbit around our walk with him. Maybe you remember this from Galatians a few months ago that we inhale his love and we exhale obedience. That has got to be the center of our life. But most of us, me the chief among us, place ourselves at the center of our life and then everything gets off kilter. About a month into sabbatical, Jason called to check in, and he got caught in the slime of my own pity party. I don't know if he remembers this, but it was just, it was just bad. I vent for about 10 minutes, and at the end, and maybe he's done this to you, he says, well, Luke, I want to encourage you with this. God has something to show you in all this. And I was like, shut up, Jason. <laughs> I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. I don't want to learn anything right now. I just want an easy life. I just want to go home and sit in my recliner with some sweet tea and sonic ice and just mindlessly watch, you know, something on ESPN. That's what I want to do. And so I'm thinking through this, and the next week, next day or two, I find myself sitting in my recliner with the sweet tea and I didn't have any sonic ice, but the sweet tea, watching something on TV, and then I'm frustrated that my recliner is way too small. I just... We've got a recliner that's like made for an eight-year-old. And I'm sitting in this thing, and I'm just, I'm so frustrated again. And I just remember these thoughts coming through, and the Holy Spirit so patient with me saying, Luke, life is not all about you, bud. It's just not about you. 
See, what I had done is I had placed my center as the weightiest thing in my life. I'd placed me at the center and my life and my selfishness and anyone that inconvenienced me even for a moment, even a silly recliner, I just got so offended at Jason's words haunting me. God wants to do something in this. And he did. Listen, church, when we live for ourselves, we live really small lives. Always checking social media to see what others think of us, so easily offended at the slightest obstacle in our path. When you find yourself in that frustration, you should look and see where you've placed your hope and trust. You should see what you've placed in the center as the most weighty thing. Are we ascribing glory to the Lord with our hearts in awe, full of thanksgiving? Or are we ascribing glory to our own comfort? You cannot consistently give yourselves over to small and trivial things and not become a small and trivial person. We were made for something so much larger, so much bigger than our own comfort. It's a great reminder for me that living for myself leads to weariness for sure. I'm going to close here. We're going to take communion. But maybe you would just take a few minutes in the quietness, and maybe you would ask some of these very things. Lord, what am I giving supreme weight to? Am I intoxicated with Jesus? Have I, have I taken time to rest and to listen and hear your small, still voice? My invitation to your church is to lift up your eyes to the hills. As the psalmist says it, as Paul says, that we would set our minds on the things above, that we would get caught up in the goodness of God and the glory and weightiness of his character and place our identities in him. We take a moment and just think through that. I'm going to pray for us and then share a few thoughts about communion. Father, you're good and you're as Stephen the psalmist says, and we agree that we should be ascribing to you glory and strength, the glory do your name. And if we're honest, we just get caught up in so much other things and distracted by little things. Many of us are guilty, and we stand knowing this this morning, that we've made the big things of life really small, And the small things in life, enormous. And Father, we just ask, we repent of that and we just ask you to do a work in us. That we would be willing participants in this sanctification process of you molding us to the image of your son conforming us to the destiny that you've you've designed for us. Lord, help us to not be as the psalmist says, help us to not be stubborn like the mule, but that we would participate with what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you some more time to think through what God's doing, but this is why we celebrate communion every week is to remind us that we're not the center of the narrative here. We aren't playing the lead role. Jesus is. He's the hero. He's our example. 
more than that. He's our substitute. He's our king, and he's now residing in us through the Holy Spirit. And when we take the bread and we dip into the cup, it's just reminding us again and again that this really is all about Jesus. This is a practice the church has been doing for thousands of years that started with Jesus and his disciples. If you're not part of the capital C church, if you're not part of God's family, we ask that you sit this one out. But if you are, you don't have to be a member here. We invite you to participate with us when you're ready. I'll be standing in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. Maybe you just need to sit and pray by yourself there. We're going to start singing in a minute. Just join in when you're ready.